Hey, Gaggle listeners, it's Ron. I wanted to give you a heads up that Yvonne won't be on this episode. She's the normal co-host, but she has a bit of a conflict of interest with this one. At the Arizona Republic, we ensure that all our coverage, be it in the newspapers, online, or on this podcast, is fair and balanced. So today, we'll have Lauren Castle, the Republic's courts reporter, joining me as co-host. So let's get on with the show. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Lauren Castle, the Republic's courts reporter. I'll be stepping in this week for Yvonne. In today's episode, we're talking about the race to become Maricopa County attorney. We'll speak with both candidates, Alistair Adele and Julie Gunnigal, to get their takes on some of the top issues for voters this election cycle. The Maricopa County Attorney's Office has become a heated and competitive race this year. The race really picked up this past summer after various high-profile killings of black individuals at the hands of police officers gripped the nation and sparked mass protests. In Phoenix, local activists marched for Dion Johnson. Johnson was a 28-year-old black man killed the same day as George Floyd by a State Department of Public Safety trooper named George Cervantes. I still feel George Cervantes is a monster and he needs to be arrested for my son's murder, period. The Maricopa County Attorney's Office under Alistair Adele did not charge Cervantes in Johnson's death. Deep down in my heart, I knew they wasn't going to charge him for my son's murder. Opponent Julie Gunnigal was critical of that decision. And my criticism and the cowardice of this process has been aimed at the process. Because here in Maricopa County, we don't have a process we can be proud of when it comes to police use of force cases. So who are these two women vying for the county attorney's office? Alistair Adele was appointed to the office in October 2019 by the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors. This came after her predecessor, Republican Bill Montgomery, was named to the Arizona Supreme Court by Republican Governor Doug Ducey. She received the support of police unions and several Republican politicians. I can tell you as the first woman county attorney, I have a record of accomplishments that include holding criminals accountable, getting treatment for those who want it, and keeping children and families safe. Her opponent, Julie Gunnigal, grew up in Arizona before becoming a prosecutor in Indiana and Illinois. She's been vocal in her support for criminal justice reform and has the support of various left-leaning organizations and even received a shout-out from celebrity singer John Legend. I'm committed as Maricopa County attorney to make sure that we have action rather than mere conversation, that we have a prosecutor who's willing to breed unity and not division, and that together we fix our criminal justice system rather than merely maintaining the status quo. So to give you a better picture of who these candidates are and their philosophies, we decided to ask them a few questions, starting with criminal justice reform. When I win in November, my biggest priority is enacting real criminal justice reform that's going to keep us safe and save us money. 
Julie Gunnigal's ideas focus on reforms that would benefit lower-income offenders. I am committed to not charging low-level marijuana offenses, irrespective of whether Prop 207 passes. I am committed to stopping the practice of asking for cash bail because we know that disproportionately imprisons our poorest. I am committed to real sentencing reform and ending some of the charge stacking practices that have come out of this office. And most importantly, I am committed to ending mass incarceration. And I'm the only person in this race who have uh, made specific promises when it comes to taking Arizona out of being one of the biggest incarcerators in the country. You know, we're the fifth largest incarcerator in the country, eighth largest in the world, and we need to do better. With Alistair Adele, we had a slight difference in that she really wanted to point out what she had already worked on reforming. I'd like to eliminate, uh, excuse me, uh, um, highlight some of the accomplishments that we've done in the past year that are different than my predecessor, many of which relate to criminal justice reform, but also the fact that we reorganize the office to make it more efficient. She really tries to play up how different she is from Bill Montgomery. I'm not my predecessors, and I think my proven track record shows that. And that's likely because in the race, Gunnigal has really tried to paint herself as the face of change. Adele really has been, made an effort to push the number of projects she has started. So now we actually have a new, robust, evidence-based diversion program. And even despite the pandemic, um, I'm proud to say that we've offered it to at least 3,000 people and it's going to be to more. Alistair really likes to talk about her office's recent changes to diversion programs. These are programs that allow some defendants to avoid prosecution. And recently, Alistair has made changes to make these programs more accessible to low-income offenders. We are looking at treating the offender and not just the offense. And so in order to do that, we had to eliminate a fee. It was a financial barrier of a minimum of $630 for people just to get the help that they need. She also brought up diversion programs for veterans and victims of domestic violence. We are in the, in the midst of creating another diversion program targeted at um, veterans and also one for um, domestic violence victims who have been abused for quite a while. And then they just go back and attack at some point. It's like an overreaction type thing um, to get them the help that they need too, so they don't have a felony on their record. So Lauren, being a criminal justice reporter, what do you make of these programs? While some public defenders have said the programs are still too expensive for their clients. Last week, during a debate the Republic hosted with Arizona PBS and KJZZ, her opponent called the diversion programs a band-aid on a bullet wound. The diversion program that my opponent has instituted is a band-aid on a bullet wound. The fact of the matter is that most- When we asked Gunnigal to elaborate, here's what she said. Yes, my opponent and I could not be more different when it comes to diversion programs and what we're advocating for. What we have right now is not the robust diversion program that I keep hearing out of my opponent's mouth because it doesn't adequately address the root cause of addiction and it doesn't adequately address what the path to recovery looks like. So sadly, this is something that I've had personal experience with in both my family and my friend circle. And for anyone who's had that experience with substance use disorder, you know that a person who is in recovery will have relapse. They will have instances where they, where they use again, and that direction is not a straight line. 
Right now within the county attorney's office, the ability to go to diversion is limited to but a single time. And that's out of step with what we know is the best evidence, what we know is the best science, and what we know is the best practice when it comes to diversion programs. What I am committed to is that no person is put inside an Arizona prison for no reason other than substance use disorder. And that means that we're even more aggressive when it comes to our offerings. It means not just reducing fees, but it means increasing access. And that's the big improvement that we could have because it costs about $28,000 a year. That's the conservative estimate. Put someone in behind bars for a year. And we also know that we can't incarcerate addiction out of a person. So we need a county attorney who's absolutely committed to treatment and what we're seeing right now just doesn't cut it. Okay, so we see where both candidates stand on diversion programs, but that wasn't the only reform Alistair Adele mentioned. Right, Alistair had a pretty lengthy list. She talked about a new home detention program. This was something Maricopa County didn't used to have. This means, um, for instance, a DUI offender Rather than having that disruption of going into jail for, let's say, 10, 20, 30 days, they can serve most of their time at home. She also mentioned several new internal teams that would address some community concerns. We created a Conviction and Prosecution Integrity Unit. She said the Conviction and Prosecution Integrity Unit would work to build better communication in the office so that if someone sees something they believe was inappropriate, they have a place to go and voice those concerns. We also added people that from the community and non-lawyers to our critical incident review team, which looks at officer-involved shootings and in-custody deaths. Um, so I'm really proud we did that. And then you know, finally, one of the other accomplishments I'm really proud of is in a commitment to hear other voices, those that are underrepresented in our community, um, nonprofits, faith-based leaders, those advocates that want to see our criminal justice system be better, we created a community advisory board to have those discussions, as well as a business advisory board to look at how we can look at criminal justice reform that gets people back and working and contributing to the economy. All right. So the next thing we brought up was actually your reporting, Lauren, about the demographic breakdown of the office. Tell us a little bit about that first, and then we can get to what the candidates said. According to our analysis, there are only three Native Americans and six Black prosecutors out of 360 in the office. The numbers for Asian and Latino prosecutors are also low. 301 prosecutors are white, making up 84%. Only five attorneys chose to not identify their race. Okay, so when you asked Alistair about this, how did she respond? Well, she wanted to shift our attention to the overall demographics of the office instead of focusing on the prosecutors. Office-wide, 66% of our employees are white. 34% are minorities. That's better than the 2010 census for our county. And yes, that's important, but the prosecutors are the face of the office. And what do you mean by that? Why does that matter? Um, I've spoken to attorneys and experts in the field, and attorneys have told me that it's important to look at the diversity inside the office, because when you improve the diversity, that is also changing the perspectives when it comes to cases. Um, improving those perspectives can also change how cases are being handled. Um, one expert um, that I've talked to told me that 
you know, changing the diversity might not solely improve, um, might not solely change reform. However, it might show what's happening inside the office. She told me that it could show a toxic work environment or show if there's a high turnover. So I think this is kind of important, especially what's going on across the country and what's going on in Maricopa County. You know, the community wants change and the community wants to see how the office is handling um, concerns that people of color have. So I think, you know, focusing on the diversity is kind of important. So something that's important to note is that Alistair inherited the office she works in. Can we do better? Absolutely. And those are the directives that I put in place. She doesn't come in with a clean slate with an opportunity to create a a perfectly reflective office, right, Lauren? That's correct. But she does have the power to make changes going forward. And to that point, she did list a few solutions. She said she was hiring a diversity inclusion coordinator. She said she hired a member of the LGBTQ community. And she also said she was starting an internal committee to discuss matters more. So you're right. I I did inherit some of this. However, I have taken numerous steps during my time as county attorney to remedy this. And I understand and respect that it is an issue. But I'd like to point out a few hours after we talked to Alistair about the changes she was making inside the office to improve diversity, she sent out an email to staff alerting them that she was creating a diversity committee and that she was going to talk about the um, new addition to the office on the diversity inclusion coordinator and said that she was not going to waste any more time to let them know that she was supportive of them. Okay, so what will that mean, Lauren? I think it just shows that, you know, she needs to stick to what she says and that this is really important. Um, I've spoken to members of the judicial system and other parts of the legal system in Maricopa County, and they've either already had plans on how to improve diversity or they have made concrete ways of how they're actually going to do this. So I guess we just have to see and see to see what the county attorney is actually going to do to help um, support the people who are already inside the office and how she's going to actually try to hire more people of color. Okay, so how did Gunnigal respond to your reporting about the demographic breakdowns of MCAO? She said this was something she was eager to address and that it was part of her campaign since day one. The leadership in this office needs to be as diverse as the community that it seeks to serve. In my view, that means retaining and promoting talented attorneys of color. It means that we are more aggressive when it comes to uh, attracting attorneys to this office. And I think we're going to get there when we have someone in this office who has a clearer vision of what justice needs to look like. Because what we've seen nationwide is that it's easier to attract uh, a diverse talent pool when you have someone willing to say that this office has been out of touch with what justice is in our county and willing to make those, those sorts of changes. 
whether it's reforms outside or inside the office, these candidates will need buy-in from the supervisors. That's a five-member group who control the budget and says yes or no to new ideas that will cost the county money. So we asked both Adele and Gunnigal how they would collaborate. Here's Adele's response. Uh, I will tell you that when I was appointed, um, even um, Supervisor Gallardo, who's a Democrat, uh, voted to appoint me. Um, and I have an outstanding relationship with him. Um, and he's, he's a great guy. And I know that he'll be supportive. Um, of the other four that are on there, I'm confident that they're supportive of this. You've got one member that is, you know, very um, cognizant that criminal justice reform impacts the business community. Well, they all do. Um, and you've got one that runs a recidivism reduction program. We have a very, very collaborative relationship, which is um, what I'm told is unusual for a county attorney and a board of supervisors, but we did spend a lot of time together early in my tenure um, dealing with um, some issues in the county. And I think that our collaborative relationship is something that's absolutely critical to the success of Maricopa County moving forward. What's interesting is you'd think Alistair Adele might have a built-in advantage, seeing as how the board appointed her. She was their choice. She had bipartisan support at the time of her appointment. Lauren, does she have that same level of support today? Well, two board of supervisors have publicly endorsed her. However, two of the other Republicans have not. And of course, the one Democrat on the board of supervisors has also not endorsed her campaign. Okay, so we also asked Gunnigal the same question. Here's what she had to say about working with the supervisors. Sure. I mean, we have a GOP-controlled board of supervisors for now. You know, we have an election coming in just 22 days where those seats are up. But what I know from being able to build those bipartisan sorts of connections is that everybody wants people to be treated more fairly within our county, and everybody wants to uh, save money. And at this stage of the game, we just can't look at criminal justice reform and our $1.2 billion spend in prison and think that we're getting anything for those very vital taxpayer dollars. 87% of our residents want comprehensive criminal justice reform. So I think there's going to be not only you know, a push for you know, bipartisan uh, reforms coming from my administration, but a push from the public and a genuine grassroots effort to make that happen. I would also note that it's not just the Board of Supervisors, it's our state legislature as well, as they are poised to make some of these, these vital reforms. And it's been my pleasure to have earned the support of so many who've been working on these issues for decades, like uh, Representative Bolding and Representative Rodriguez, Senators Navarrete and Martin Quezada. They've been on the ground advocating for these measures for a while. And I think that this is going to be the year that we get it done. So this election is notable for a lot of reasons. In addition to it being a presidential election year, we're also seeing the swift nomination and presumed confirmation of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. That development is especially important, perhaps, because it could have implications for Roe v. Wade, the legal case that established abortion rights for women. If that were to fall, it would send the state's abortion statutes back into play, and that could have some important implications for who the Maricopa County attorney is. So we asked Alistair and Gunnigal about that. Here's what Alistair told us. Well, my opponent loves to bring up that 
this outlandish hypothetical that Roe v. Wade um, is, is going to get overturned as a scare tactic. There are no cases before the court right now. None. In, and I want to be very clear, in the very rare event that Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, I can definitively say I will not support a law that prosecutes women for their health care choices. And to be clear on that, uh, I'd like you to just speak to you know, existing statutes and how you interpret those as it relates to any duties that you would have in light of a world where the Supreme Court made a ruling that essentially brought those ones back to the controlling statute. So the statutes that we have in Arizona are actually very archaic. Um, I can tell you that during my time, um, at more than seven years as a prosecutor, and now as your county attorney, not one case has been prosecuted under that statute. And law enforcement isn't going out there and looking for women who have exercised their health care rights and sending them to our office. We're not an investigative agency. We're a law firm. The police have better crimes to look at. With homicides on the rise, domestic violence on the rise during the pandemic, that's what we're focused on. But again, I do not support a law that will prosecute a woman for her health care choices. Gunnagal had a similar response. Lots of people have lots of opinions when it comes to how women use their bodies and what level of control the government should exercise over them. Where there is broad consensus here in Arizona is that the government should never prosecute those private healthcare decisions, that this is an intimate space where the government does not belong. Gunnickel also really dug into the state laws and spoke about the kind of effect that would have on Arizonans. So under Arizona law 13-3603-04-05, we have lingering felony abortion bans, meaning that a person is put behind bars for a mandatory minimum of two years for accessing an abortion, a max of five, a mandatory minimum of one year for providing one, but Arizona law continues to even provide misdemeanor criminal liability for contraceptives. It has been my position from day one on this campaign that I and our Arizona women and families will not go quietly back into the 1950s and that they will always have access to healthcare irrespective of what the Supreme Court chooses to do. I will use the prosecutorial discretion inherent in this office, and I will never prosecute a person for accessing abortion or contraceptives. The last topic we spoke on was marijuana legalization. Voters will decide this year on Prop 207. The effort would allow adults 21 and older to possess as much as an ounce of marijuana for recreational purposes, it would also allow the 130 existing medical marijuana dispensaries in the state to sell the substance for recreational use. It also includes other provisions, such as allowing people previously convicted of crimes that would no longer be illegal under the Act to have their records erased. And it would offer 26 retail licenses to people historically disadvantaged by marijuana laws. We asked Gunnigal and Adele their thoughts. 
Good question. So I have come out in support of Proposition 207 because it makes good sense. You know, we're surrounded by jurisdictions that have legalized recreational cannabis and have done so in a way that's responsible, that brings in tax revenue, and that keeps substances out of the hands of children. So those are my, my top concerns, and I think this, this proposition satisfies them. Where I think it's so important that we have a county attorney who is on board with Prop 207 is when it comes to the expungement aspect. Now, Arizona law has only the most minimal expungements. We typically do this thing called a set aside, and it doesn't really give folks who have a previous conviction that true second chance. It's incredibly important because we know that with a felony conviction comes a host of collateral consequences, the ability to find housing, the ability to get a job, the ability to access student loans. So it's incredibly important and valuable that in Prop 207, there's an expungement aspect that gives folks who are lingering with this disability of having a collateral, the collateral consequences of a felony conviction, and Arizona is the last state to have felony marijuana laws, uh, it gives them that real second chance. It also allows the county attorney to help initiate that expungement process. So your prosecutor, if she's on board with Prop 207, could be a powerful ally in giving folks that second chance. And that's exactly what I intend to do when I'm elected. This was a pretty different response from Adele. Gonigal really came out explaining why she supported 207, while Adele kind of kept her answers pretty short. Well, um, You know, it's tough because <clears throat> as a prosecutor, it is my responsibility to enforce the law. Currently, in the state of Arizona, marijuana is not legal. I respect the will of the voters in this state. And should the initiative pass at the ballot, we'll enforce whatever the new law is. It's as simple as that. All right, listeners, let's dive into afterthoughts. Lauren, uh, first question, I guess, is, you know, this race seems like it's really starting to heat up. Is that just my imagination or are these women really starting to uh, engage a lot more in terms of going right after each other? Yeah, Gunnagal has been always has always gone after Adele um, since the moment she decided to start her campaign. But Adele, I've seen her starting to, you know, go after Gunnagal in the past month or so. Um, both campaigns have created the, these attack websites with similar URLs, basically calling themselves a reformer and calling the other person a radical. Um, so that is something very interesting uh, if voters are willing to, if voters really want to look at. So one other thing that really kind of caught my attention is that uh, Julie Gunnigal talks a lot about what she would like to do and, and is really pretty aggressive about going after Alistair or Adele for what she thinks she has not done. But when she talks about the future uh, and in particular what the county supervisors will uh, really kind of help make happen, um, how realistic is that given the, the politics of the county? Yeah, I think she's going to um – Julie is really going to have some trouble figuring out what her priorities are. She has a, lo a long list of things she wants to do. However, um, just like what Adele has said over and over and over again, things are going to take time and she's going to have to decide 
what is going to be my main priority? What am I going to want to do? However, I think with both both candidates, um, they need to make um, large, large strides into trying to gain the community's trust again. Um, we've seen over the past months or so that um, communities of color are really tired of the unjust treatment that they believe um, the legal system has um, done to them. And so, you know, it's time for both of the candidates to show the community how they really want to change the office and what they're going to do. And even though reform is going to take time and a lot of their plans are going to take time, they need to also show um, how they can do some things at a quicker pace. Well, speaking of time, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Lauren, for sitting in for Yvonne. We appreciate it. Gaggle listeners, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week with another episode. If you enjoy our show, please consider purchasing a subscription to our website at azcentral.com slash join. And you can follow me on Twitter at Ronald J. Hansen, and that is H-A-N-S-E-N. And you can follow me at Lauren underscore Castle. This week's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley with oversight from Katie O'Connell. We'll see you next week.